0: Once we build that next home run Grand Slam product, we'll have the rockets
1: to get to a hundred million relatively easily. But Matt, how do you know that you've kind of maximized your opportunity on just your current product suite? We haven't. What if you
2: find a business that's really cool in the same thing? They just don't know how to possibly scale it. You test it to
0: your list, it blows up and you acquire it. There's still a ton of optimization and growth to do there. Have we given you any insight? I've got four pages of notes.
1: So, Jay, we have Matt coming on the show. He runs a e-commerce supplement company. I'm actually a customer of his company. Well, okay. I, I love I love his products. It's called Bio Optimizers. And okay. they also have a Nootropic product line called Newtopia, which is pretty cool. That's a hell of a name. And I that's like pretty that. Pretty cool. They're a team of around 90, doing around 30 million a year. Really, really high quality supplements. And I know that he has some systems issues that he want to talk about. I know that he maybe has some wrong systems, maybe has overhired. I know that he is trying to kind of work his way out of a job in some respect. And he's a very smart marketer. I think you guys are going to really get along. I look forward to it. That'll be fun. All right. Okay.
2: Let's do it.
0: Okay. So what do we what do we want to work on? Goals to get to a hundred million smoothly, and in you know. To get the hundred in the next two and a half years. Again, we're gonna do about thirty to thirty-five this year. And it's profitable if you've well, we've, we've been We've been unprofitable the last three months because, because of, you know, of what? Because you're growing too fast with staff? Staff's too high and our advertising costs went up too much. Are you doing most of it on Facebook, Instagram? Where are you advertising? We're really omnichannel, but yeah, Facebook, Google, we've actually pulled back a bit on Facebook since the whole oh, iOS Facebook
1: debacle. Facebook died for us. Yeah. Has the algorithm changed and that, and the, you're, you're just having a worse ROAS on Facebook ads right now?
0: Yeah. So we've just went from focusing on growth to focusing on contribution margins. Are you able with most of your products to break even or profit on the acquisition? Not most. I would say we've got three products that we can advertise profitably on. And again, the Magnesium had such a high ROAS, right? That it just took us from, I think, about $8 million to, to where we are now. And wow! Just, so that's uh, a hot category. Yeah. And you it's have many products? How many SKUs in that product? Just one. So we're working on creating a drinkable because we're, we're pushing it to retail now. We're, we just hired a head of retail. Well, that's uh, We have some demand for a, a drinkable version. So, I mean, is the majority of what drives the business paid ads? that is paid ads. We have about 500 affiliates and influencers. We, we separate the two. We've got international distribution. We're on Amazon, which is about us uh, growing. It's about 10% now. Of but the, total the margins
2: are going to be less on Amazon probably, aren't
0: they? Well, your ROAS is so high because even though you might advertise, um, the, return, the, the ROAS on the pay-per-click on Amazon is, is incredible. And if you can get to the top 10, even top 15, you start picking up organic sales, and it just lowers your overall ROAS. So we're probably making more money there than on Facebook so, and Google. So
2: on Amazon, when you go on Amazon, and you obviously you see people who buy this buy something else. You get part. You
1: partner with all the something else's? No, I think it's that's just Amazon's algorithm, right? That has. I don't think you can influence that, can you? Well, you can. You can partner with them where they can sell the products. If there's a partnership, and then. Behind the scenes, yeah, yourself, you, know, you, you
2: can do two things. You can basically, if, if, if I've done this with clients and it's work, man. So if you know that people buy this, buy that, you have two choices. If the, that is something that's much lower price, but could be an entrant product, you can make that one of your products, even if it's not your current one, as a lead to get the other, the second one. Mm-hmm. I've done that with clients and it's worked where they'd see, okay, people buy this, buy that, and then whatever the that is, is a product that they decided they were going to compete at at much less price because they wanted the buyer and they wanted the, either the upsell or they want it. doesn't matter how you do it, but you might really consider that for Amazon.
0: Yeah, I, I had not considered that.
2: Yeah, it's worked for two of my clients that I did it for. I don't understand Amazon well, but I understand that kind of correlative thinking. So yeah. when you got a 500 either influencers or affiliates, is, in aggregate, do they generate
0: much business? Yeah, they're about a million dollars. For each. Well, again, each. And then we separate affiliates and influencers, right? Affiliates, all they care about is money. They're direct response marketers. Influencers tend to be health authorities that are trying to build their name and they care about the product quality. So I much prefer working with influencers than affiliates. And one more key channel, it's actually our biggest channel is podcasts. So podcast appearances, podcast advertising. So you have a full-time person that schedules them? Yep. Well, we did. And it's really running a lot of ads. The ads perform incredibly well on podcasts. I Contract think. Ads. Have, so look, how, do you, how do you buy them? Through what means? Well, uh, we have a full team dedicated to that. And that, is that a big part of the revenue? It's going to be about $4 million this year, just, just wow. on podcasts. But growing? Growing. Is its ROAS better than normal? Yeah, it, it, ROAS wise, it's one of the best channels as well. So it's a, it's a lot of contribution margin.
2: Who might be the most um, responsive?
0: A podcaster, who will interview you. And do they get a whole? Is it a whole show that you get? Your friend uh, Dave Asprey. We've we've, done, we've we've done seven shows with them. We just released another one a few days ago.
2: And when you do, what what's a typical show generate? I and mean, any kind of correlation, you can just say how many new buyers. I don't care about money, or I do care about money. I just wonder because I know I've talked to him before, and I would imagine his audience is highly responsive, but a little bit static, meaning he's always growing. But it would seem like on the seventh one, unless you're doing new, new products, you're starting to get saturation, but maybe not.
0: Well, we go every time with a new product and, and it has dropped over time. So,
2: but, but, but he usually, you know, and, and do, you, do you do it on RevShare or do you do it just for as a paid ad? We do it as a paid ad. What does he charge these days? It was about 50, 60, 60. Yeah. But if it makes a profit, it's okay.
0: Yeah.
2: I've been on his show three times and never gotten one thing, which makes no <laughs> sense. <laughs>
1: well, I think his product is maybe a little bit more direct. In alignment. So know, yeah, in alignment, alignment. Yeah. I was just looking up on Amazon. Um, it's what Steve, people that buy this, buy Yeah, me. like people that buy your magnesium pills. What else they buy? I guess mm-hmm. other, other company magnesium pills, which you know might be harder to start. So how
0: do, you, how do you circumvent the lack of interest alignment going to another magnesium seller? Or oh, maybe not that, but well, that's I'll tell like, you how.
2: I'll tell you how because and this is something I've done very effectively. If they sell magnesium and the average duration of purchase is four months, you say, let's do a marketing approach to the people in the fifth month. Here's something that I found. I use this, Matt, when I talk, which is not that often anymore, but it's okay. You want to compete against yourself and you want to compete against alternative realities. And I say, well, get an example. If you did a supplement for weight loss And you understand the average weight loss person is totally disloyal, not just to the company, but to themselves. They will take your bill. They will also be concurrently probably exploring other ones, but that's not all they do. They'll buy portion control food. They'll they'll uh, they'll pay for a a virtual group personal trainer, a private trainer. They might be a health club. They might get equipment. They might buy books and recipes. You can do all of those and monetize the sunk cost of the relationship. Whether it's yours or you partner with somebody else. And it really works if that makes logical, strategic sense to you.
0: And there's. Yeah, I love, I love, I love the idea of you know, once the relationship's over, then shift over.
1: And, okay. and there's, there's other products here that don't come. Well, you have others that uh, aren't competing. What else do they say people buy besides yeah, you? Yeah, like NAD plus from True uh, Niogen. Like that's not a competitor for you, right? That's not part of your skew. Correct. Right. And And, then you've got a bunch of others. And Matt,
2: let me give you another concept because you want to do a million dollars, but let's understand why. Here's a concept that I've introduced when I used to do this a while. You want a million dollars because you want either the business to be profitable at a certain level or sellable at a certain
0: level, right? I don't care about selling. I'm I'm ready to do something. Even better. So if you
2: got to a million dollars based on your, your current, whatever you would call it, your personal income, whatever it is, what would you be making at a million dollars if nothing changed in your uh,
0: profit model right now? I mean, are you asking what's our percentage of, of net profit percentage was?
2: Whatever you want to answer. If right now you make 10% after everything and you take, I mean, if you're the only, the, the sole owner, what I'm getting at is this. You don't have to answer. I'll give you the, the, the meaning behind it, which might help answer it. When I first introduced the three-way to grow business model, mm-hmm. people- in the audience might be a billion dollar company and they wanted to get to 10. And I would actually bring them on stage and say, well, why do you want to get to 10? And the answer would be, well, I'm making 150 now and I want to make a million and a half and I got to get 10 times the volume. And I'd say, why? Well, because I want to make a million and a half. I'd say, but there are many other ways to get-
1: reduced reduce costs. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's many other ways to get to that 1.5. You can get a lot more yield for each sale. You can get a lot more- you know, know, additional, even if you have nothing else to sell them, you can find ways to benefit on them. You can find ways to use your access and media skill. You can find ways to use your brand. I said, why would you want it? Because when you go, this is you, when you get to 10 times, you got a lot more complexity, a lot more overhead, a lot more management, a lot more capital deployed, a lot more space, a lot more payroll, a lot more headaches. But my goal is First of all, why does somebody want to get to a certain point? You have to answer, you have to think about it. If you want a million because you're making, hypothetically, uh, right now on 30, you're making three and you want to make basically 10, the question
0: is how many easier, faster ways can you get to the 10 while you're en route to 100? The goal is impact. So for me, yeah, we could, and like, we could optimize today and dramatically improve our net profit. That's not your driving goal, is that correct? Correct. correct. Okay. Not- but at a
2: hundred, is your goal just to reach? If right now you have, a- no, then 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 the goal is a
0: billion. Then the goal after that is Maybe ten. The goal I mean, is
2: driven by what what
0: what impact urban? impact. Okay. I want I want to improve the longevity of the planet ten twenty years and increase IQ about ten points. That's the real driver. Right. Good. And towards
2: that, and let's go back for a minute to influencers as opposed to. Affiliates, influencers. Would you call Dave an influencer? Yes. Okay. So there's another thing you can do. No one's ever thought about this, but it works. We have had clients. I mean, over the years when I was more active, we would build our own influencers and own them because we understood marketing and we understood the back end was bigger than the front end. The tail would wag the dog. So we would create influencers, we would fund them, but we would have deals where they got. That we own them. We had we had very rock solid, bulletproof contracts with them. We had all the back end. They got a piece. We built their stature. That's a whole different approach. And you, then you have got basically two advantages. You've got certainty on getting what you want, but now you've got all the ancillaries that anything
1: they do, you all so, most so of that too. So how would that work in practice? You'd find someone that's interested in health with us like 10,000 Instagram mean, followers. They want, and People that
2: have something cool, but don't have the marketing resources, the infrastructure, the capability, Just but capability. they've already, yeah, they're succeeding in spite of themselves because their message or their methodology or their personality or their distinction is already great. And you'd say, look, you, you may never get to your fulfillment, like what you, you're you saying, to reach everybody, we can do that. And we're willing to do that. But if we do that, we are going to basically get, you know, you, we'll do a cutout. You could have all you get from whatever you're selling, but we want basically 90 or 80% of this. And we want to basically uh, have you be uh, like an author in our stable.
0: And I mean, uh, and that, and very effectively. Career-wise, that's the main thing I've been doing prior to Boptimizers. We had an instructional music company uh, that was killed by YouTube with free content. But that's what I used to do all the time is just find really good leaders, yeah, yeah, yeah. make deals. But I, I, yeah, in terms of our space, like building somebody from scratch, I hate the the, the risk there. I'm not, I hate the risk there.
2: I, I'm not saying from scratch. I'm yeah. saying find somebody who's mm-hmm. already got acknowledgement that his or her message is cool. They just don't have anywhere close to the marketing, the... The, the, the management, the optimal skill sets to take what they've already accidentally
1: gotten validated and blow it up. Well, I have an example, right? So Molly, uh, she's a friend of mine, Molly McLaughlin. And I know you have an affiliate uh, relationship already with her, right? So she's a sleep as a skill um, is her company. Okay, right. So she on her store is already selling mats magnesium. Okay, great. Right. So it was what you're saying that beyond just an affiliate deal with Molly, there could be even a deeper relationship where he- Well, let's say
2: that Molly has taken her brand to X level, which is the totality of her capacity. Mm -hmm. If you could take it
0: to 10X level, but you own the benefit of that, that'd be very interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know know where the, the real value unlocks is if we had 10 or 15 people, and right now we have three, myself included, that would go on podcasts and talk about you know, Molly could be the, we got a sleep formula coming out in about eight weeks, but she could be the sleep person. We put her on all these podcasts. She goes right. and talks about it, drives sales, becomes the authority. But, but, I mean, but,
2: but I mean, that is a unique model that I would argue very few of anybody else is even contemplating. And it wouldn't be, you know, what I, if you'd follow me, which I, I, I appreciate your, your compliment earlier. I never believe in any one activity. I believe you've got a Parthenon and you're doing all these things concurrently and they start overlapping and then they're explosively exponential. I'm with you. So well, I'm saying that the key is not doing what everyone else is doing the way everyone else is doing it. And the key is figuring out where you're going to get a hell of a lot more residual playing a long game that you, you can afford, but you already understand marketing at a level that most people don't. You understand affiliate at a level most people don't. There are some very very gifted people who have a very high resonating proposition, but possess nothing. I mean, when I was younger, we were the biggest player in the whole entrepreneurial sector. I was on par with Tony. He had more numbers in, in attendees, but I had much more money. I burnt out. Today, I don't do much of anything. And I don't, I'm at a point in my career, I wouldn't do this, but if somebody said, Jay, I want to take you over, I'd say, great, do it. And they'd say, you know, we want you to, what do you want out of it as a cutout? And I'd say, I want deal flow. You need to have product sales, give me 15, 20. I mean, there are lots of people, if you do it right, you will own and you can always sell the business back to them. And you're creating assets while you're creating controlled uh, distribution, if that makes sense.
0: So we've we started to hire some C-suites. Uh, we've hired two. They've had a, a significant impact, both of them. The next key position is a CMO. And right now I'm CEO, CMO. Again, I've, I've started learning copywriting 25 years ago. I've been trained by a lot of your your friends, Jay, uh, Albert, Carlton, Kennedy, Ted Nicholas, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Been doing pay-per-click online since 2002. Anyways, long story short... I feel that it's going to be very difficult to find somebody that is even eighty percent as knowledgeable as I am, sure. specifically in our space. And then to add to that challenge, a lot of the people that are as good as me or better than me, they've got their own companies or they're lazy marketers that make a million, two million dollars a year, being consultants, having agencies, et cetera, et cetera. So in my mind hiring a great CMO is going to be an incredible challenge. I could probably easier find a CEO or
1: any but, other. Who, who reports into you right now? Do you have a director of marketing that reports to you or a VP of marketing?
0: Yeah, I've got a I've got a chief marketing integrator and I've got multiple teams that handle each channel. So each channel has a team. You know? So what,
1: what activities would you, if you hired a CMO, what activities would you want to stop doing and have this person start doing? And does it need to be a zero or a one or could there just be aspects of that role and responsibility that maybe another hire could make or you know you just hire the cmo but maybe you're still ha- overseeing the overall strategy but they take 20% or 30% of activities off and that's still a win for you yeah
0: i'd love to have somebody that can ideate better than me or you know or synergize and we can bounce ideas Right now, I feel like I'm still the main guy that, that ideates the most and creates the majority of the grand strategies, which I'll probably still do to, to a high degree. But right now, I'm responsible for, again, all of it. We do have copywriters we hire. We have six of them, and they're
1: good. But uh, yeah, it's still a huge load on me. Are they reporting to you or are they reporting to your director of marketing person?
0: Um, they report to me. I usually meet with them, feed them some ideas or write the copy. We'll test them and see what are they, happens. Are they full time for you? We have two full timers. The rest are all. So, but here's,
2: here's a concept that affect me, man. Yeah. So I have a beach house. It's not my primary residence. It's a very nice beach house. And next to me is a very successful restaurateur who probably owns 18 very uniquely successful restaurants in Los Angeles and in in Las Vegas on the Strip. And he and I were having a long discussion one day about the fact that he's a control freak and he's a perfectionist. <laughs> and he used to have one restaurant because he could never find anybody who would even come close to his 100% perfectionistic capability. And he was making 200 grand. But he realized the only way he could leverage himself was to isolate the most critical functions and keep control of them and leverage out the things that most people could do. And if 85% was super adequate, accept that and occasionally get brilliance and occasionally get, you know, non-brilliance, but leverage himself. And he said that's when he started making 10, 20 million and having this big restaurant group. And he realized he's got to leverage himself through others who probably are not going to be what he is. The role of the great CEO is to be the strategist. Mm-hmm. Not to do the other yeah. stuff. Although, if you're the great personage, you should do the interviews too. If you mean, if you look at you being doing interviews and your yield is here, and your colleagues doing interviews and their yield is here, you got to decide where where are the high, highest leverage points for you to concentrate on, and then where are the the activities that, as long as you maintain vigilant and div, and, and diligent oversight. So that if they start going wonky on you, you can intervene right away. But you'll never grow to your 100 million if that's your goal by doing everything. And you'll never do it if you have to be the marketer as well as the strategist, as well as the personage. So you got to make a decision. And then you basically keep a tether on it until such time as they prove it. And even then at intervals, you have to keep involved and you have to have Safety valves that if they if they blow a signal, you intervene right away.
0: Yeah. And I've I, I been mean, systematically, you know, I haven't been writing copy for years. I don't do the pay per click. So a lot of the executional side has is, is been taken off my plate. Uh, coronation has been taken off my plate. So now it's like this last major piece, which is again the ideation. I think overall the strategy I can handle, but you know, really taking the time to ideate with the pay-per-click teams, ideate with the copywriters and create, you know, I call it X factor, right? The the people that have the ability to create ideas that move the needle. It's the hardest thing to find. It's the most valuable thing to find. And I want to find a CMO. Let me give you a suggestion. And by the way, just
2: parenthetically, we did programs in 19... 94 called The X Factor. It was EX I remember it, that long that. ago. And I'm sure everyone knocked me off. I was like, stop, yeah. stop doing them. What I've found is creativity can be developed, but there's a process. And ideating it is a function of the same thing that I teach, which is the best ideas are not going to come from inside the industry because best practices are flawed because everybody learns them. And so they become standard operating procedures. I think, and I'll give you a real simple, there's a book you should read. It's called, I think, A Technique for Creating Ideas. And it's by a guy named James Webb Young. And it was written, I think, in 1950. But he was the head of either J. Walter Thompson or one of the big groups. He was a creative director. And that's when they had magazines, Matt. And every time he gave a magazine colleague, a publisher, an idea for selling. They all sold out. And every time they let their own salespeople come up, they bombed. And they asked him to teach them his methodology. This book is toilet reading. It's maybe 60 pages, but it's really interesting. I'll give it to you in a nutshell, because we're trying to get this uh, as an experiment anyhow. So the concept is, first of all, the mind was developed for two reasons, to solve problems and create opportunities. So it's created for that, but it can't do it if it doesn't know what its job is so the first thing is know what you're trying to do breakthroughs okay so how do you do it well the first thing is you 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 study you collect you review everything you can on the subject let's take it you know magnesium or sleep or grounding or mental acuity but then the key is you study everything you can about everything else you can that has no relation whatsoever no relation So you go online and you study everything you can and you get your guys cutting everything you can. And then you have meetings where they they tell you what they got from looking at that. And then they let their subconscious come up with breakthroughs and then you pitch them to each other. What I used to do with the big seminars, if you followed me and you got home studies or you ever came, Matt, we had a process. Once I gained trust, and this is back in the Halcyon days where bookstores existed, we would go to a bookstore and we would buy uh, you know, six, eight, nine hundred, a thousand books, depending on the attendance level, and they'd be on every kind of topic that was uh, nonfiction, or we'd buy magazines on those topics: hobbies, skills, anything that was nonfiction. And then when we we got some comfort and trust, our team would go to all the people who were sitting in different collective tables, and they would say, "Matt, what's your skill set? What's your hobby? What are you the most interested in?" And whatever you answered. They would give you either a book or a magazine on the polar opposite. Like if you said, Jay, you know, I love motorcycles and, and hot rods. I'd give you a book on cake decorating or a magazine on macrame, And I'd send you away for two hours to find two, read two chapters or two articles and come back and find something super, super applicable that you could extrapolate. And 99% of the people did. But on their own, they never would even do that. And you create an environment to like a creative, what would you call it? I mean, it's it's a a ideating brain trust, but um, it's got methodology behind it. And it may may not be the most cutting edge. I you could probably study other methodologies. But if you want breakthroughs, you need to create an environment and not just hope you're hiring breakthrough thinkers, because that's a very rare gift. But creating breakthrough thinkers really isn't as hard as you think. You just need the system to do it. Well, Deming used to always say, and I liked it, it's never a
0: people problem, it's a system. Problem. That would conform with you, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's a system problem and everything. And that's, that's, that's just to encapsulate our biggest fundamental problem across the entire company. What? System that's for it's a rat. It's system problems across the board. So, well, anyways.
1: Well, what kind of system problems? Well, like I
0: said earlier, our system until now has been people. Mm-hmm. Hey, we need, to, we need to build this channel hire three people, throw them at that problem. And in general, I think the Sigma level of our systems is like a one to two Sigma system. And I'm looking at what it's going to take to get to a hundred where the systems are really driving the, the performance and we're just hiring people to run the systems. We yeah. don't have that. That's a three, four Sigma system. Right. So I have to go systematically system by system right now and Get in the weeds and build it, and, you know, do that with the team. But that—that's her problem, including yeah, but, the creativity uh, system that Jay and just but, mentioned.
2: I Man, highest and best use theory would say you figure out which one to do first, second, third, and then you just do it. And and that's, I mean, it's, that's it's what I'm doing. Not simplistic, but it's also not—it's you know, not as daunting and and uh, Gordian knottish as it might seem.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Just okay. So, what can we help you with today? <laughs> I don't know. You guys we're, tell me we're having a good
1: dialogue. Well, one of the things that I see, Matt, and tell me if this is what happened with you is that you were growing at a certain speed, didn't necessarily have the infrastructure and systems to support the growth. And so you throw kind of money at the problem in terms of adding headcount to get some more stuff done that needs to get done to support your growth. And then before you know it, you wake up one day and you're at, you have 90 people on your team yeah. and you, know, you were at 45. A year before, now you're at 90 and you're- The, the, did the, revenue, the
0: revenue did not grow proportionally, right? And right, that's but, the,
1: but the complexity exponentially uh, grew as, as, you, as you scaled the staff, is that, is that yeah, fair?
0: Right? Yeah, you nailed it. That's, that's a great description.
1: Yeah, because usually what happens is people I find higher because they have, as a knee-jerk reaction, because they have some capacity issue. And usually nine out of 10 times, it creates more headache long-term By doing that, if you don't have the infrastructure to support it.
0: Yeah, question. So to me, there's like, if we take systems, we can have a systems conversation. There's, you know, first thing is building it. The second piece, which is completely non-existent, except in our customer support team, is training new people. So if I hire a copywriter tomorrow or hire anybody in the marketing team, there is no training system, right? So that's a
1: that's a major problem, which which, which causes uh, three problems for you. One, you have risk issues if someone were to leave, they're leaving with a bunch of stuff in their head. Two, the training time when you hire a new person, it's probably ten times longer to get them up to speed, right? And then three, you have a quality and inconsistency issue too by not having a streamlined training program. Correct, and
0: then the the third piece is obviously enforcing a system. You know, you have
1: well. What's yeah, your, somebody doing? It. go ahead. What what's your employee churn rate? Do you have high? You have ninety now, but do you have a turnover problem on your team? No, but again, we're
0: cleaning house. I'm looking at every single person in an X factor role, and I'm being ruthless with my assessment in their value. And are they creating enough value? And if not, they have to go.
1: So there's a little bit of churn right now, but it's mostly us releasing people, not them leaving. How do you measure it? that people are adding value? Do you do objectives and key results? Do people yeah. have? And so people know how they're gonna how their performance will be measured. And you have a systematic kind of quarterly, yearly, whatever the t- time period is where you sit yeah, down, I mean, hey Nick, we're supposed to do this. Did you do it? Yes or no?
0: Yeah. For example, I'm gonna have a conversation on Monday with a guy that is supposed to be going out and doing deals. He needs to generate at least half a million dollars in deals for us to to justify his salary. If he can't do that, he's gotta go. And the conversation is, well, what is your system for systematically going out and finding new deals and new partners? So anyways, those are the kind of conversations we're having. Mm -hmm. But something that I have uh, trouble
2: with because we're trying to put together that very thing. And I said, I don't want to hire anybody until I I can uh, streamline and optimize their time if they have to find the people... I'm doing a disservice. They need to, you need to get them. Here's a thousand targets. Here's a bunch of influence profile. Here's a bunch of of platforms. Here's a bunch of product companies, because if you put the onus on them, you're being very arrogant and ignorant because you're you're very suboptimal. And I won't hire anybody because I've got another team. I keep saying, I'm not going to hire anybody. You guys are never going to make the money you want if you don't give me the damn database because I'm not going to have somebody, you know, I'm going to pay somebody six figures to grovel and try to figure it out themselves that's not the role they should have their role should be to be the deal maker the rainmaker not the not the prospect identifier mm-hmm.
1: so so what systems do you feel are missing with within the company right now is it documenting i guess part of training is we've doc- we've, been, we've been documenting in general
0: a lot of things and we've started using jira we brought in a systems documenter uh, full time a few few months ago. So that's, that's been a win. But right. the biggest system back to marketing is I think I need to basically build a marketing course. That's what I need to do. And do an internal marketing course that new hires come in, they go through it. There's tasks, there's quiz, there's assignments. And, you know, I think just doing that alone would improve performance and reduce the load on training on, on people. So. Yeah.
1: And there's a lot about, we use work, uh, at Leverage, we use Workram. And so new hires go through, go through our training that we've streamlined in WorkRamp. That's been tremendously uh, helpful uh, within our company. But yeah, do you have plans to hire more people? Or are you trying to, if anything, reduce, keep it at 90, reduce, but improve their productivity and output per person? Yeah, we're cleaning house.
0: Um, again, the, the other type of person we're releasing is... If we, if we can make more contribution margin in the next 12 months by releasing them because their salary is high and we don't believe that they're going to grow their, that channel and we can maintain it with less expensive labor, then they've got to go. So there's been a few cases like that. So yeah, we're probably going to shave another 10 positions and try to optimize performance and grow because I think that we can do that.
1: One That's- thing that I would suggest doing with this so you hired a full time process and uh, knowledge basically like a head of knowledge whose job it is to capture all SOPs and processes. Correct. That's pretty cool. Most people don't do that, but I think that's super smart. One thing that you can do to, uh, to take that to the next level is have people swap roles and stress test what they've documented to make sure, because if it's one thing to, you know, how do you know that it's well documented? The way to stress test it is you give it to someone with no, no support, no intervention. And you see if they can actually execute whatever it is that they've documented. Yeah, I
0: feel like a Six Sigma system is Homer Simpson is drunk, comes out of Moe's bar, and is able to work yeah. that system, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's, the old, that's the pinnacle.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. What tool are you using to document all? What, what tool is this person using? We've committed to Jira as a company. How did you come to that decision? Just curious, because usually Jira is, is mostly popular. And, you know, I. Well, no, there's, well again,
0: Jira is for the project creation and the templates of the project. I think on the system capture side, they're, Confluence. they're using something else. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so you went like with an Atl- Atlassian uh, tech stack and you're using Jira and uh, Confluence. I'd have to check on that. Gotcha. Yeah, that's slightly unusual for a company that's in e-commerce to use Jira instead of something like Asana. But at the end of the day, if it's working, it's, that's all that matters. It's, it's a bit heavier of a tool that, that usually it's more for IT. Do people have a difficult time getting started with that? We just literally, I think, six
0: weeks ago, made that commitment, so I think we're still kind of evaluating how it's working.
1: I see. Well, keep me posted. But in my experience, it's ten times more complicated than Asana, so I don't know if the person that made that decision just was used to it, um, and that was kind of the leading driver of that decision. But uh, in my experience, something like Asana's a more appropriate tool for your type of business in combination. But then the benefit of, of Jira is if, if you're using things like Confluence, it's all integrated, but you could use a, a knowledge-based tool like Coda. Uh, we have a partnership with them. They're great. Or, or Notion or some other more simple, straightforward. Usually the, the tech stack you chose is for more enterprise, more complex types of things. So if you're really trying to get people trained up and, and make their life easier. I think something like a Coda notion plus Asana you'll find is a lot more simple for people to, to get started with and is more than powerful enough for what you need. But I would talk to your, your guy that's leading it because ultimately they need to be comfortable with it. So how, Matt, how many direct reports do you have right now? It sounds like you have a lot of direct reports. If you have six copywriters directly reporting to you, plus all these C-level people, like, are we talking about like a dozen direct reports, two dozen direct reports? It's about a dozen. That's kind of, that's, that's quite a lot. I mean, maybe, maybe a, a goal is instead of hiring a CMO, maybe there's a couple roles to hire, but you know, maybe a win too is not the CMO, but just how do you get down to six direct reports? Mm-hmm. You know what? Do you know Tucker Max? He, re, he used to run yeah. media. And know Tucker. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he stepped down from CEO, hired um, Javon. Uh, JT, and just was leading sales. So maybe hiring a CEO or maybe just maybe like a couple senior people and you're still CEO, CMO, but you just have a buffer between you and these other people's another another short-term win.
0: Yeah, all I want to really do at the end of the day, my goal is to get to a place where all I'm doing is strategizing, creating vision, and optimizing because that's my superpower. Right? I've done 19,000 AB marketing tests and I love doing it. I, lo- I love the iterative process. I love the scientific process. And I'm doing the same strategy in the lab to innovate on the products. So again, strategy, running scientific process, that's all I really want to do. And that's what I should be doing. So that's the goal, is just continue building the team so I can move there.
2: So again, what is it we really want to resolve today?
0: I mean, internally, my, the goal in my brain is once we build that next home run grand slam product, Similar to Mag, we'll have the rockets to get to a hundred million relatively easily, right? So we got a sleep product we've been working on for a while. And well, I think that'll that's gonna big, be the next what's
2: one. the big what's the big I mean, is sleep and brain really the hot, you know, the hot sleep incense? sleep
0: is hot. Sleep is really hot. Because right. most
2: people can't.
0: And it's so critical. I mean, you you have one poor night of sleep, your health's compromised that day, your brain performance compromised, your mood's compromised, your ability to burn fat's compromised. I mean, you're probably better off smoking a pack of cigarettes than having a poor night of of sleep. I have such
1: terrible sleep. It's like my number one thing that I'm trying to do. But Matt, how do you know that you've kind of maximized your opportunity on just your current product suite? We haven't. There's still a ton of optimization and growth to do there. So.
2: And what do you do? I mean, you got all these affiliates. What do you do with your database? That's not that uh, besides your own products.
0: Nothing. We don't do JVs
2: because
0: I think a fear of losing the customer. You know, being seen as uh, a prostitute that just promotes garbage because that's what mm-hmm. most people well, do. Let me ask you this: Does that yeah. presuppose there's no one in the world that has anything as good as yours? That's, I, well, one, in our product categories, we know that's a fact because we've proven it in our lab. I'm uh, can,
2: can I give you a suggestion? Sure. And it could be acquisition. It can be not uh, an affiliate in the technical and, and the uh, typical sense. But it's, if you think about the person you're dealing with in a more holistic realm, that he or she probably has a lot more issues that are. Uh, driving them besides just sleep, although sleep might be a primary one, and you've got two different inflection points. One is when you find them, and the other is when they stop buying it, that there probably are other things you could find and that you could acquire and not necessarily just flip a name to them. And even if you sold somebody else's product, you could stipulate, not unlike Amazon, that they send their product to your you know, to wherever you warehouse, and you could control it. Years ago, one of the most fascinating people I ever met—you're uh, too young to know who he was. His name was Joe Carbo, and he wrote the most successful ad at the time ever run on newspaper. It was called "The Lazy Man's Way to Riches." Remember that? Was- you read it, We're- and, and you know. I'll tell you. I'll tell you an ADD story about that in a minute, but I'll tell you the backstory behind that, which is going to uh, it'll support what I'm saying. So Joe got his start in sales management, but then he became a great copywriter based on the fact that he could write ads to draw and attract commission salespeople and convert them. But he had a business that sold horse race handicapping products, books and, and courses. And he had a database that was the best database, but he refused to ever let anyone have access to his database. But he did 40 or 50 joint ventures every year. He would make them give him their marketing piece. He would send it at his expense. He would get money off the top. He would make them give him the product he would ship. He refused to let them have access to the name, but he would share profits. And he didn't even share profits equally because he made the case that his list was the most responsive and he would give them less. And if they wanted access, great. And if they didn't, great. And he 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 redefined the deal. You, you're not stip- you're not mandated to what everybody else does. You can play a different game totally. And I always said the world should be a three D movie, and you should have the only pair of glasses. What about white labeling and partnering well,
1: with on it? Yeah, and just in the business.
2: What if you find a business that's really cool and the same thing? They just don't know how to possibly scale it. You test it to your list, it blows up, and you acquire it. And you don't acquire it for money, you acquire it for, you know, for growing it. Or I mean, there's all kinds of models that most people don't think about because they impose on themselves what I would call a linear mindset. And I'm not imputing
0: that you are even inferring you do, but I'm not saying you don't. Lots of different ways to do deals. Have you guys seen or know of, back to what you just said, Jay, mean, one of the ways I have seen it done is we send an order we include a postcard that promotes, you know, a meat delivery service, something else that somebody's a health enthusiast might be interested in, et cetera, et cetera. Are I mean, you doing I mean,
2: that? Yeah. I mean,
0: uh, it, it, we're not doing that now.
2: But the point I'm saying is your buyer, isn't just buying that from you. Correct. Your buyer. I mean, one of the things that happened, I have eight and a half inches of titanium in my neck. When I went, uh, to get it operated on, I was in excruciating pain. My hand was closing. I had terrible, terrible everything. And when they, when they very successfully abated the problem, I realized, Jesus, my back hurts. Jesus, my shoulders hurt. Jesus, I have all these other things. But the first overriding issue was my neck. But I mean, if you think, what else do these people buy? The odds are, I mean, how many things do you take? Supplements? Yeah. Very few, like two. You want to bet that the I mean, I take a prescriptive stand. I never thought I would take eight prescriptions. I got prescriptions for cholesterol, for pre-diabetes, and and the point is, I would bet money that if you if you queried uh, a sampling of your database, you're going to find that they buy a hell of a lot more things. You want to bet? I know they do. Okay, well, why would I you? I won't take that bet. <laughs> you take your your discipline. You take your desire to only provide the very best. First thing is, oftentimes the very best are the least successful, believe it or not. They're they're crazy people to figure it out and they don't know how to market their way out of a paperback. Number two is you can verify and validate with somebody else and then decide you want to do it, but you don't have to do it. We're, I'm writing a book with Roland Fraser. You know who he is? Oh, Roland
0: Frazier, yeah, I do. I do. Just Roland, he's yes. Brian Dice's
2: partner, and they did-
0: uh, yeah. chopping conversions. Yeah, and- yeah,
2: and he does the war room and all that stuff. And the book's called, it's a pretty cool book. The book's called Creating Business Wealth Without Risk, and the subtitle is uh, How to Earn the Income of a Lifetime Every Three Years. And the premise is why start a business from scratch when you have a one in 20 or 24th? Success rate when instead you can get control of a business that has already broken through a viability uh, level, but is profoundly underperforming the potential that you can do it not with no cash, although you oftentimes can, but with no, none, excuse me, of your own cash. And then you use my, I mean, shit, I've got now 90 categories of performance enhancement, most of which, Matt, require virtually no investment or risk. They're just using assets and access differently and, and performance enhancement. And then you flip it every three years if you wanted to. But you could have, an as one of your methodologies, you could be looking for under undervalued uh, people who got a validated business, or you could just make deals with people where you don't, you don't give them a name. You play by a different game. But I can't imagine if you've got whatever, 30,000, 100,000 active, inactive buyers, I'll tell you a very fascinating story. Many years ago, 91, we sold a fifteen and a $20,000 program on how to become a marketing consultant. And we did all kinds of endorsement deals with newsletters and Tony and all kinds of people like that. But one of the sleepers is I went to people who were running ads in Entrepreneur Magazine, E! Uh, Success, Wall Street Journal, selling $10,000 training programs on how to be a tax reduction consultant, or how to be uh, a payables uh, or receivables consultant, all kinds of things like that. And I had them, I, I persuaded them to give me access to their unsold names and their sold names. People who bought their training, people didn't. And the ones that didn't, I wrote letters from them that they, I paid to send out. And they would say, man, uh, let's say it was from Nick. Okay. From Uh, From Nick Sonnenberg uh, to Matt, it would say, Matt, I was so thrilled when you originally inquired for our training program on how to achieve uh, or how to become an effectiveness, efficiency, productivity consultant. And I was frankly disappointed when you didn't follow forward. But I assumed that there was a reason either timing wasn't right or offer wasn't appropriate, the terms weren't what you wanted. But if you haven't found the optimal Uh, new business or career, we'd like to introduce you to somebody who's got a proposition far, far more appealing. And mine had about 10, I don't want to go through all the copy points, but about 10 more elements. And we get millions and millions of dollars from those people. And we had a similar one to the people that bought uh, a training. You say you bought the training, it's either working well and you're doing it, or maybe you're not doing it and you're not enjoying it as much. If you're doing it and you're more ambitious and you want to add another Another category, we would like to suggest it. If you found that it's not as Beful. fulfilling, but you're doing it intermittently, we'd like to suggest something else. And you can do variations of that so many ways with people that stop by. Chris, I mean, and I don't think most people even come
0: close to optimizing those opportunities. Well, I wanted to ask you, Matt, what, what, do you know what the lifetime value is
1: right now when you acquire someone?
0: Lifetime, we build a, I built a whole software, spent a million dollars building a software that tracks that. We actually track more, like over time. Yeah, lifetime be over five hundred dollars. And, and how
2: many turns? I mean, what 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 is the average? And it's probably different from each product that they come in on. What is the yeah. typical duration?
0: Yeah, we know that quarter by quarter, eighty percent of people buy a something again. Um, so at least at least twice. Yeah, yeah. So like eighty percent. You know, if we did ten million dollars last quarter, we'll do, even if we did no advertising, we would do eight this quarter. We know that we've been. Is, it, is
2: most of it subscription
1: based, or is it? Yeah, trans- well, I want to know what percentage of the thirty million is is subscription. Uh, right now, we're at about twenty two, twenty three percent. Got it. But it people, is- they,
0: even the non subscribers, are coming back and buying, right? So, right. Some people just don't want to subscribe; they just want to come buy when they want to.
1: Yeah. Well, I saw on your website you offer like a 12.5% discount if they yep. subscribe. Have you tested if that's, if you increase that to 20%? If, if, if you were to go from 12.5% to 15% or 20%, like what would you estimate that, that 22% goes to?
0: Yeah, we were able to move the needle um, by optimizing that. We, we did run some split tests on that earlier in the year, and we went from about 17% subscriptions to 22, 23, we'd have to do the math on the contribution margin. If we started bumping that up to, let's say, you know, 20, we actually want to test 10. Could we, can we maintain performance at 10 and add an extra couple of percentage points and contribution margins? So, let
2: me ask you a bizarre question that might be fascinating. So if you're trying to get it from, what is it right now? What is, what is 22? 22. Try to get it from 22. Let's hypothetically say to 32. Mm-hmm. You give me 12, and and um, and Nick is suggesting what would happen if you gave me 20. What would a 20 percent reduction be in in dollars? How much would that be in dollars? Depends, obviously.
0: Give me an example. What what's, what's, what's the average? What's, what, yeah, yeah,
2: What's yeah? What's the average product?
0: Well, the average order is about 110, but that's usually obviously they're they're getting a few things. So be just subscribing to one product, average price, probably about 50, some 40, some 60. So
2: something. if it was 50 and you were trying to get a 20%, if, you, if you're trying to get more, but you gave a 20% reduction, which would be $10 on 50, what does it cost you to create another product that is not competitive, but would be additive? So instead of trying to give them an economic reduction, you gave them something else they get every month that had a $50 price perception.
0: I, I love that idea because I feel like one of our challenges is people are coming in for the magnesium or the enzymes, and we have all these other awesome products that most people have never tried. And I'm thinking long-term, if we just had more people trying out more products, the odds that somebody... A good a way. Or, or, more.
2: or or I figure, figure something else that $10 of real money will buy 50 or hundred dollars of value and it could be something totally different. Every month they get something that's really not uh, going to compromise your
1: product suite, but something else that's so valuable. Well, maybe, maybe uh, on top of it, or in addition to a price discount, maybe when they subscribe as a bonus, they get some small packets of a few other products and then that's a bonus to them, but it helps you because now they get to test yeah. other other things.
2: Yeah, and I don't know but I've seen I've seen
1: that work better than just economic reduction. Back up for a second. Do you, would you be able to know what the lifetime value? is? You said blended, it's around five hundred. But if you were to segment, so we're hmm. if you were to segment that lifetime value for people that are subscribers versus non-subscribers. Do you know? Do you know? No, we better? we we haven't. That's a great. That's a great report to run. We have a- oh, be something really, really interesting, right? Because then you could start playing around with these bonuses and these, these yeah, yeah. discounts. That's really true. Because like what happens if it's blended 500, but even with a, even if you raised it from 12 and a half to 20%, you might find that still on that segment, on average, they might stay for a year or two, yeah. whatever it is, the lifetime value might be $1,000, even yeah. with a 20% discount. But. Yeah. What- A million dollar. Like, may I ask, why did you have to build a specific software to calculate LTV? I'm guessing it's doing much more than just calculating LTV. It tracks every type of marketing. And again, we
0: started building that in 2012. We were using Google Analytics. There was nothing that could do what we wanted. This is
1: before, like, because I saw you're now on HubSpot. I'm guessing you're on HubSpot Marketing Enterprise.
0: Yeah. So yeah, and our and our system is just again, it's the ultimate, right. uh, Digital performance marketing, tracking, software, and stuff. do you, That's is it. That's another long story. But: okay. uh, so,
1: yeah. One thing that I started doing, if the, in case this is helpful, because I also have a model where I have some subscribers, and obviously the, the formula for lifetime value is slightly different if you have a, uh, someone on recurring revenue versus not recurring revenue. So to mm-hmm. simplify it, what I did was I just took last four months. Revenue, break it, order it by person. So I know person A did this much, person B, order it over four months. And then instead of taking average, I was conservative and took median. That way, if someone buys a shit ton of stuff, it doesn't skew the number. And then I said, okay, that's the average revenue. And then I, you know, just basically um, do some other inferences from that. But if you were to just kind of rank everyone's revenue and then just take the median, and call that your average revenue per user, and then try to maximize that. Uh, that's something I'm guessing you have all the data to, to kind of break this down. But you might want to look at who are your top revenue people, not on subscription, where it would actually be a benefit to both you and them to suggest them to go on subscription. If someone is buying bottles, you know, every other month, etc., you know, it's beneficial to them. Hey, you can get fifteen percent off if you go on subscription it you might increase your lifetime value and they might save a bit and then there might be people that haven't bought for what do you do with the people that haven't bought for for a long time how do you re how do you reengage with those people are you more aggressively targeting them with ads or with uh email campaigns yeah we've we've been
0: building all kinds of automations for about a year and a half and we have a sales team as well that we're scaling um the sale team as their hands full with just abandoned carts and initial calls so We'd have to really scale the sales team for us to be able to start hitting that much deeper uh, journey, right?
1: Subset. Well, it sounds like you have a ton of opportunity, even with no 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 new SKUs to clean up some of the under the hood, behind the scenes stuff, but also maximize lifetime value of, of your clients.
2: There's Steph, we're doing. One more, there's one more implication, and that is: Do you analyze lifetime value from sources?
0: Yeah. And that's so, that's when our software does that.
2: So, for example, if Dave is three times more valuable than you know Sam Smith, do you get Dave to do more things? Not just the podcast. I don't know if he's got a database or or, or whatever. I mean, you know, find out where Dave has gotten his most viable people. I mean, I would want to do all that if you don't.
0: Yeah, we do. You know, again, as a, from a CMO perspective, I'm looking at all the channels and saying, well, over six to twelve months, where is Oh. Uh, the best yield, where's the best return, and let's spend more money on that. So that's where things like podcasts have are really high. Because we're tracking not just the day zero ROAS, but the the growth of the ROAS over time, and there is significant differences in different channels.
1: Ultimately, at the end, you want to know what's the lifetime value of that channel, right? After, you know, ROAS is just one component, ultimately, to the, to the lifetime value. But do, are you able to also... I'm guessing if the answer is yes. But if you're able to know the LTV of a channel, you know the cost of acquiring a client from that channel too. So yeah. are you able to know the ratio of LTV? Ultimately...
0: Well, that's that's what I mean by ROAS, by the way.
1: Okay, gotcha. So you're saying ROAS, but you're talking CAC?
0: Yeah, ROAS is just, you know, how much are you spending? Uh, how much are you making divided by how much you're spending on that channel?
1: Gotcha. So you're able to know the the ratio of lifetime value to CAC across every channel?
0: Yeah, and I like tracking that over time because... Again, especially yeah. the six month ish. It's, it's a key metric. Go ahead. Does that does that make your
2: uh, your acquis- your allowable acquisition is it a dynamic? Uh, is in other words, you'll spend more for different ones than others, or not? Correct. Okay. Well,
0: in terms of the channels, absolutely, and that's we're trying to. Well, we're, when we're budgeting and allocating money, um, we're trying to focus and optimize on the highest ROAS channels. Okay, so what
1: what channel is your best LTV to CAC, and what's what's that ratio? And what's the what's the worst one?
0: Well, podcast the best. And, and Facebook Facebook's the worst,
1: right now. Go ahead. And and to to support your podcast, how many employees? Uh, how big is the team that's supporting that channel versus the team that's supporting the worst channel? And what's the what's your LTV to CAC on the best one versus the worst one? Well,
0: I think the question you're really asking, which has become. Mm -hmm. The new key metric that we're obsessed with is labor efficiency ratio, per team, per channel, per employee.
1: Yeah, that's what I was getting.
0: Because yeah, that that's really what we've decided as a company we're going to focus on, and we've created, we started benchmark back to systems. We're benchmarking every team, and we're saying, here's what you know, red zone is. Here's what great is. Here's what legendary is. And because I guess.
1: Even if the l t v to cAC is like one and a half which or two, which isn't maybe terrible, but on podcasts it's a four to one and it's a distraction and you have you have to manage twenty people on the other team, there's also an opportunity cost to free up your bandwidth, increase your capacity to you know focus more on the one with the higher l t v to cAC
0: yeah that's a that's a what you're talking about is probably my main focus is going team by team channel by channel and doing that and cleaning house and and releasing people that aren't, that don't no. have enough of a high enough labor efficiency ratio.
1: So. But with your type of business, if, mm-hmm. if magically some marketing channel just exploded, since you're in e commerce, mm-hmm. there's no additional hires that you would need necessarily to support that, or, or would you? Like if you were to all of a sudden sell twice the number of magnesium because an episode with Dave Asprey blew up, uh, how, what would be the impact to have? of the team size that you need to manage and, and how you would operate? Um, not much. The only potential
0: consideration if things really exploded is customer support. But we've been actually you know, reducing our ticket to order ratio. We've, we've dropped it by about 40% this year. So we're building capacity there. My point is we can probably double our revenue without hiring too many more CS
1: reps. Is that in-house, the customer support, or do you partner yep. with a third party to make it more um, realistic? It's all in-house because we're obsessed <laughs>
0: with giving great experiences.
1: Where's the the business base?
0: It's incorporated in the U.S., but um, we're fully remote. I've been building fully remote companies since 2002.
2: Interesting. It's, it's, yeah. well, this has been very interesting. Have we given
0: you any insight? I've got four pages of notes.
2: <laughs> That's great. Well, so in summary, what do you think on a hierarchy of actionable things? What would they be?
0: yeah the creativity system is something I want to build, and you know that's a that's a key one I, th- I think i need to i think i had a self limiting belief around can you train people on being more creative um, so I think we can build a, a system around that and a process and yeah, I've done your process in terms of reviewing what's in the industry and outside the industry, and it works you know it's a great it's a great process, so I think you know train people and Getting them to do that is key. I need to read that James Webb Young book. I haven't read that. I think that's that's a big one. I mean, just building the system, building the marketing system, the training systems. That's key. Reducing the direct reports to six. It's a great goal. You can probably get there in about six months. This has been fun. Thank
1: you to everyone at home or on the go for listening. If you find this show helpful, please hit the follow or subscribe button. It does wonders for the show. So more people can find the optimized podcast organically. If you'd like to be on the show, we have an open invite to anyone who wants our challenges solved. If you want to get in the hot seat, you can submit your business right now at theoptimizedpodcast.com. If we think you're a good fit, we'll get you on the show. If you have any questions, or recommendation, drop us a comment right here, wherever you're listening to your podcast. We'd love to hear from you. See you on the next episode.